Welcome to Lights in the Sky podcast episode 55, casual chat about uncasual things. I'm Luke. Uh, Tone is here, joining you. Welcome. And to you. I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to the listeners. Oh, the listener? Yeah, I was talking to you yeah. in a couple of days when you, you listen, listen back. back. Yeah. Welcome, Ton. Ton's <laughs> Hi. ears. Hi, guys. It's me, Ton. <laughs> um, uh, I'm in that space where I'm wondering on each episode whether it's mm. going to be someone's first episode, so do we kind of explain what we do? I think uh, I maybe start most episodes you, with you that do. question as to do I need to explain what we do? We generally recap the last <laughs> 54 episodes. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. So, starting today. So, Gigantic Walnut, yep. uh, Captain <laughs> Teraguchi saw a UFO, uh, Harp did some shit, yep. controlled the weather, they had souls for some reason. What was episode two called? Oh. <laughs> was it the Bell in the Bookstore? Uh... Southern Bell? Southern Bell? Yeah. No, Beautician and the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Um, but the Flatwoods Monster. Yeah, you win the prize oh, for Lit's Trivia. <laughs> Yay. It'd be great if you go to a pub, a pub quiz and you find out that the uh, one of the topics is Lit's Podcast. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, that could you be play a your bonus joke round. Out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, normally uh, our episodes um, start off with a little bit of a catch up, maybe a hypothetical question, and then one of us will educate the other on a paranormal story. Um, and then we finish up with a reading from the sacred book, uh, mm. Mysteries of the Unexplained Blessed Reader's Digest version, 1982 thou. version. <laughs> holy book of mystery yeah from the 80s so hopefully um you stick around and listen to some of our stories what are we um, doing for that book's um 40th birthday 40th birthday yeah will that be this year no <laughs> when will it be 82 so it'd be 2022 <laughs> yeah just we got time to figure that we out we should start planning stuff though <laughs> i don't know about that the 40th um it'd be crazy that that looks 40 years old amazing yeah well, we've got two of them. Not yeah. that amazing. One in really good nick and one in pre-loved condition. Yeah, not like, you know... Like, not like that. No. No one's done that to that book. <laughs> well, I haven't. Well, I haven't. I mean... But I, I did get it I, from I, a used book kind of... Uh, what was it? Like a fair. Yeah. An affair with the book. Yeah. Um, not like that. Sort of an affair. <laughs> yes. Did you have a good week? this week since our last um, recording anything paranormal happened to you since the last recording uh no no didn't no, no it didn't um we did have a kind of a weird week because we had um our version of what was it when we compare it to america is it memorial day memorial day yeah we did this already we did this last year when we hit anzac day yeah maybe we had the same chat around trying to explain yeah well, we recycle the same like we veterans day recycle the same well, maybe it's veterans day we yeah. know, oh the cat's well, up there the, hey hello <laughs> it's not allowed on it's not allowed up there well, it's up here. Louis, hop off the ironing board. Cat called Louis. <laughs> just outed it. Get off. Not like that. It <laughs> just wants to sit down. Go. <laughs> it's, no. Yeah. It's seen you getting off of the book. So Chasing kitty. Uh... Chasing kitty. There you go. Yeah. When you said get off, it went straight to the book. It obviously had seen you <laughs> and you what you cat. to do. It's well, not my you're cat. Well, you're here often enough. Um, so we yeah, had, so it was middle of the week. So yep. um, we had Monday, Tuesday work. Wednesday, no work. Uh, you went to dawn ceremony, I take it? I didn't go to a dawn ceremony. Oh, lazy. You asked me if I went to a ceremony. I said yes, but it wasn't a dawn one. Lazy. What time did you go? 8.45. Oh, lazy. What a time was your one? 
not even going to discuss it because I'm so disgusted you by yours. Go. No, I'm disgusted that you didn't get up at dawn. You said to me earlier that you think I'm the sort of person who would go to you one were. of those. You were, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really understand. Well, I remember you, you like Band of Brothers. What the heck? <laughs> That's not even the same. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, same war, but different army. Yeah, but I remember you liked Band of Brothers. I'm like, I imagine if he likes Band of Brothers and he likes David Schwimmer as much as I think he loves <laughs> David Schwimmer, he's getting up. At the crack of dawn, crack of eight forty-five. Yeah. <laughs> what time do you get up for that? Um, seven-ish, seven thirty. Set an alarm or just wake up naturally. I think we set an alarm that time because mm. I stayed up late watching sports the night before. No, it wasn't the night before because it was Wednesday. Yeah, Band of Brothers. Normally the thing. Yeah, watching Band of Brothers. I wasn't up watching Band of Brothers either. Okay. Um, but it was that thing yeah. where the Tuesday felt like a Friday because you knew God, you had was a good. day off the next God, day. It was good, wasn't it? And then Saturday, uh, sorry, Wednesday rolled around and felt <laughs> like, like a Saturday. Saturday. And then Wednesday night rolled around and it felt like a Sunday night. I did go, um, can, can you tell me if this is something we actually used to, had ever done? And yes. I, I, had, I had a feeling we did do this. But me and you. Yeah, you and me. Yeah. Um, I went up on the, the port hills of Christchurch, where we live. Um, there's a road that goes up one side called Hackthorn Road and down Dyer's Pass Road on the other side. Yeah. Did you and I ever run that? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah, we did. So I, I did that and nearly killed myself because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty so steep, hard. Right? And we're not in our 20s anymore. No. <laughs> um, and my legs are still really sore from doing that. Yeah. It was uh, when I was playing league and when you were complaining about having a broken ass. Yeah. I think, and think, but that was, didn't we run from our flatty at some point? On yeah. Milton Street? Yeah, when we used to flat together. So we ran like like three kilometres to the hills. Yeah, that ran was the up easy the hills, bit. Yeah. And then ran back down again. Yeah, without like, stopping. I was, like, I was thinking, did I just dream that we used to do this? Or did we actually used to be able to do this? No, we definitely did. Yeah. Isn't there a spot? Is there kind of two spots where it intersects? Or just one? Just one. And when it's yeah, a, so it's you, you come there. to... There's a, there's a restaurant called Cup with a View. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, no, we'd run, run that. Because there's like... They have um, crockery and it faces out towards, you know. Scenic view. Yeah, like the the hillside suburbs. It's yeah. a lookout is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, we used to run that on the regular. <laughs> like, man. So did you, you obviously couldn't do it without stopping. Oh, it. hell no. <laughs> did you walk any of it? Most of it. Well, not most of it, <laughs> but a lot of it. Really? Yeah. It was probably 60-40. Okay. 60-40. I'll do it right now. <laughs> I went for a run this morning and mm. on the treadmill, much easier. I realised yeah. this is this is a much easier run than going for a run up the bloody hill. Than it was, back it's a end. really steep hill too. It's huge. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was my Wednesday. Didn't do any dawn things. Oh, what? Okay. But I went for a run. You just pilfered a day off out of our veterans. Yeah, but it's not like I sat there and played with myself all day. Like oh I actually goodness. did something. Whoa. You did something... But you didn't pay your respects. Um, to my body, I did. Not like, not like that. Not like that. <laughs> you just said you didn't. I know. Well, I don't mean like that. Another sort of like self pleasurevation. <laughs> pleasurevation. Yeah, it's like some crappy MTV show. I'm sure. <laughs> self pleasurevation. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, I had nothing paranormal happen to me. Um. But I have a hypothetical question for okay. you. Do you want to launch? Yeah. Um. Let's, and this is just one that I googled, because I do that. Lazy. If the Earth was going to be destroyed in five years, 
but you were given the offer today of being frozen, put on a spaceship, and sent out into space in the hope another species finds your ship. Would you rather live five more years on Earth or give up those five years and go on the spaceship? How painful's the death? What do you mean death? It's not death. It's preservation. No, Earth will be destroyed in oh. five years. So, like, sometimes I think about there's that theory about that planet that's going to collide into us at yeah. some point. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty painful death. Yeah. Because I mean, like, that's one you see coming as we'd well, be, right? We'd just be sitting here and then like this planet would bump bump into us. I'd be like, you, you can't like you know you can't get out of being squashed by it. Yeah, you can't give it like the half turn at the movies yeah. to say excuse it's me. It's like, oi, shh, <laughs> yeah, like it's coming towards you. And then like the side that doesn't get it obviously has a massive bounce. Yeah, and you, eventual death. Yeah, because you kind of forget that although we're sort of sitting quite stationary here, like I can pr- I can like put something on this table and it's not going to move. But if yeah. a planet bumped into us, I'd say it probably would fall over. Yeah, it probably would fall over. Yeah, like a drink or so, like a drink of milk or something like that, <laughs> there, fall yeah. over. And other more dire things. Yeah. You might <laughs> spill your milk. Yeah. Or... Have spilled milk or... Have your entire country go underwater. I was thinking about waves. I'm not big on the whole waves thing. <laughs> Strong swimmer? Uh, I went to Foranui. <laughs> I was at Foranui as a Is kid. Is that yes or no? Uh... What's Foreigner's reputation like? Middle of the range, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Middle of the range swimmer then. Okay. I'm I, not a great swimmer. I'm not a good swimmer at all. Yeah. I don't know if I can swim because I haven't swum since I was about 14. Really? Yeah. Well, no, I have. No, that's a lie. That's an outright lie. I, I've th- swum. I seem to recall I've you. I've been in pools, but I've never really swum. You sort of floated? Or just, you know bobbed played you know like played what are you talking about played like throw a ball at each other um play with inflatable pool noodles or something i don't know Hmm. pool toys why are you in the water then doing this like surely you just play with a ball on the outside water what's the advantage of being in the water is it because it's hot yeah oh (laughs) i didn't get it no you didn't um so Spaceship or no spaceship? Okay. Um, is oh, just, you wondered how much, how painful, painful. How's the painful death, death? Yeah, I assume we're all going down together. Um. Yeah. Let's say it's like a slow kind of uh, the world runs out of oxygen. Like it's like like a leak. Yeah. Sure. So you like every second, like you conserve breath. So like, yeah, you'd be like. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. <laughs> Hold it. Yeah. Essentially, yeah, yeah you, okay. you just get more and more, I guess. Like, it would just kind of pop. feel tired. Yeah. And then you just go to sleep and you just don't wake up. That's pretty... I don't mind that. It's pain-free. It's a bit like hypoxia. Yeah, I guess so. You kind of, yeah, sort of you lose oxygen and you kind of sort of gradually go... I yeah. think that would be a great way to die, just FYI. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it different? How different is that to suffocating... Suffocating you and leaving you toy. <laughs> <laughs> I think like if I like had like a plastic bag wrapped around my neck. Yeah. Which do you realise there's a big push to not have plastic bags in this country anymore? Like the whole yeah, country ban them. Yeah. Like, but the thing is, I I, I like that because I I get the whole dig in the sea and like turtles eat them because they think they're like you know jellyfish candy. But what do I pick the cat poo up with? Gloves. But it's more plastic. Rubber gloves. 
Also, too plastic. Yeah. Paper like, gloves. But like, this wasn't there those things that were like a, pl- a cardboard handle on a paper bag, and you, you could like kind of use them like tongs, and then it would pick it up. Properly? Seems really complex for just like picking up poo. Yeah. Well. Like I just like I get it, I get it, I get it. But I'm like, I use my plastic bags for rubbish, so I yeah. put rubbish in them and then throw them out. Yeah, like, like they're bin liners. Yeah, and I use it to pick up cat poop. We have the we have the um, uh, really good problem to have that we use them also for bin liners, but we often don't have enough of them. Like we run out because we just don't use plastic bags that much. God, I have a lot of respect for you. Thank you. I have so many plastic bags. Do you want to help yourself? Like on the way, on the way out, grab no, some. No, 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 no. I'm, like I'm, even up behind you, there's the cat poop ones right behind you. <laughs> no, I'm better than you, so I'm not going to use them. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Much better than you. I mean, I like the idea of the the brown paper bags. Like when I've used them in like the US and that when shopping, it's really good. I enjoy that. That's yeah. It's a more satisfying bag. <laughs> yeah. it really is, isn't it? With all the wee handles on the top, you can pull up. Yeah. But I'm worried about the cat poop, and I'm worried about the bin liners. My parents buy bin liners. It's unbelievable in they this go, day and age. I, I, I had a crack at them the other day about it. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, hoity-toity. <laughs> you have your own bin liners. Are they like scented? And I mentioned it to my sister and her, um, her husband. Do you know what they do? Buy them? Buy fucking bin liners. No way. I know. Why would you? I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I felt pretty povo. Yeah, this is our planet too, you know. Yeah. So they're buying fancy plastic bin liners. Unbelievable. Um, so the, yeah, I didn't used to do bin liners, but then um, a friend this is kind of deviating. dropped <laughs> dropped a hot chocolate, a McDonald's hot chocolate, in the rubbish bin downstairs, and it leaked through the metal lining and fell on the floor, like it went fell oh, through. Yeah, and I walked yeah. in, there was this big like brown patch on the floor, and I freaked out what the, what that was. But yeah, so I thought bin well, liners. It's their own fault. Yeah, I mean, you mean to tip it down the sink before you throw it out because there's no brain in there but no liquids no liquids please um anyway so <laughs> what are we talking about um hypoxia is how you die yeah i'm happy with that you're happy you would stick around knowing oh i'm no hope with hypoxia in general just as, as a way of death if i have to go but so if the earth shot. was going to be destroyed in five years time you can either live out that five years and die of hypoxia at the end of it or get um frozen right now and so how reputable is this sort of frozen company like where do i need to go to get frozen um the walt disney company okay specialize in that i guess yeah based on what we've heard yeah um okay so do i definitely know it can wake me up or is it kind of like the idea of you get frozen and it's like maybe some future thing will be able to find a way to revive you that's kind of it right um let's because you still don't know i guess one i don't know if i'm going to be found anyway yeah well this is the thing because i get to make this up i would say that um you're in some sort of a chamber like a like a coffin almost that um they blast you out and it's got a button to open it that also wakes you up so the thawing process you don't need to worry about is just whether someone's going to catch you at the other end to thaw you okay so the button is like freeze and unfreeze. Yeah. It's like, okay, one or two. Push mm-hmm. those. Yep. That's good. And then it's shoot into the outer reaches of the solar system. Yep. And see what happens. Yep. And I don't know what could happen. I could drift for millions of years. Yeah. Ooh, I kind of like that. <laughs> 
Cool. Yeah, I mean, I like I like space. I mean, I like you may be maybe sort of like struggle to believe this, but I like the idea of like other species and other really. Like, I haven't heard. Yeah, uh, <laughs> other sort of uh, universal bodies out there mm-hmm. that could maybe. Yeah. What if I hit that Tesla? Um, swap insurance information. (laughs) (laughs) Like launch straight away, smash into the Tesla, and then Uh, it's like, ah man, (laughs) fender bender. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So you'd get blasted into space. Yeah. Avoid the Tesla, and Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Give it a go. That's good. Would you want to come? Um. No. No. Because I think you'd get blasted into space and just get smashed by an asteroid. I was trying to think this, like, is there any human that has ever died outside of our planet? Yeah, that's a good point. Like... I'm not sure. Because you do see in, like, horror movies from time to time where there is a space setting, someone has died. But has anyone ever not died on the planet Earth? I think... Because that would be kind of... I mean, okay, it's not great, but if I am if I get blasted into space and eventually die out there, then, hey, I get, I get a first. There's people um, who have died on re-entry, so it's like, where, do you, where does space Who's start? died on re-entry? Isn't there people that... I think there's like a, um, a cover-up or potential conspiracy theory about um, cosmonauts that have died on re-entry. Because okay. I don't think any I don't think any astronaut has died on re-entry. Salute 1 space station. There's... Soyuz 11 craft... There's there's tales though that there's cover-ups from the Ruskies yeah about um, cosmonauts who died in space yeah but um, yeah right and George Clooney died in space spoiler alert spoiler I haven't seen that movie <laughs> what movie I won't say then <laughs> just so you see a space movie with George Clooney there's a chance he dies in space as of 2016 there were 18 astronaut and cosmonaut fatalities during spaceflight. Astronauts have also died while training for space missions, such as the Apollo 1 launch I was thinking flight. Apollo 1, so where are the deaths? Where have they occurred? This is obviously a bit, a bit of a grisly subject. Wasn't but Apollo 1 on the launch? Yeah, it was it, on the launch pad. It, was, it, was, it, wasn't, it hadn't even taken off. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, there was the fire Apollo on Apollo 1. But yeah. what missions did someone actually die in? Sorry if this has brought down your, your evening. You may have had, like, it might be like for us, it's the end of the week. You're just kicking back and you're like, actually. Parachute failure, decompression oh. in space. Oh, really? Yeah. So someone's actually died in space? Yeah. There was the crew of Soyuz 11 were killed after undocking from space station Salyut 1 after a three-week stay. A cabin vent valve accidentally opened at service module separation. The recovery team found the crew dead. These are the only human fatalities in space, which they classify as above 100 kilometers slash 330,000 feet. Because I guess something I, I quite obviously didn't think about was like Space Shuttle Challenger in Columbia. Yeah. But again, I thought those were both within our atmosphere. Yeah. So that's... That's what this article says as well, is uh, the Challenger in Columbia is uh, one disintegration during launch and one disintegration during on re-entry. re-entry. Yeah, yeah, so I would count those as they were with the Earth's atmosphere when it happened. I guess mm-hmm. even if it was in the upper reaches. So, okay, so even if I got launched, I wouldn't be the first one to die in space. Mm-hmm. When did that Russian Soyuz one happen? Um, Soyuz? 1971. Okay, wasn't yeah. around, didn't remember it. <laughs> didn't mean it didn't happen. No, no, it didn't happen. It didn't happen to me, though. <laughs> no. Um... Okay, well, can we say, I 
guess R.O.P. to them because I was completely oblivious to that fact, so I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, because I couldn't maybe claim the title of first to die in space, then let's stay on the planet. <laughs> then you'd stay on the planet. <laughs> stay here. I've got nothing to lose now. Just uh, okay. All right, that's good. Okay, so there's George Clooney and those unfortunate Russians. Yep, three, three thereof. Um, there's yeah, the a bunch that I kind of listed in. Yeah. In uh, training or testing, but there was mostly a, on the ground or was, all on the ground. There was a podcast I listened to called Historium, which talks about events in history, which talked about the um, destruction of the Columbia on reentry. Oh yeah, and yeah, it's pretty um, pretty intense when you hear about what happened on board that. So, mm. um, grisly, pretty grisly. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it's, you know, if you're going to go into space, you kind of take the chance. Yeah. I we mean, saw we saw Endeavour, though, and it looked fine. Yeah, we did see Endeavour. Yeah. It was cool. It looked good. Good for its age. Great. And did you see the um, fuel booster outside? It's massive. Yeah. I once got surveyed there asking, would I come back just to view this? And I said no. Just the booster? Yeah, just the booster. The first time I went. The first time I went. Well, have you seen what they're planning on doing? Whether it's going to, they're going to turn it into a. Whether actually they would attach the solid rocket booster and have the. um, What having it upright? Yeah, with the rocket boosters on either side, and. um, It's really weird because I had a dream where they did that. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe you saw. You were there, and you were a real dick. (laughs) So that's normal, but. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that's what they're planning on doing. Interesting. Um, anyone in or around LA, I would recommend going to the California Science Center. Um, that's where they have the mm. Space Shuttle Endeavour. And a whole lot more of space junk for you. Re-entry capsules with their burn marks and stuff all over Yeah, it's actually, I say space junk, but it's actually really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, laugh a minute continues. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to jump into your paranormal story for the week then? Yeah, so I think we will. So um, I have continued to combine passions of mine. You know I like this. I'm a passionate fellow. Mm-hmm. Um, and tonight, or daytime, where you are, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't you know. Right now. Yeah. If, if you are listening during the day, maybe come back tonight. Then we can say this tonight. Nope. Uh, okay, this evening, this afternoon. Um, we're going to talk about... This morning. This morning, yep. We're going to talk about suicidal cigars. Okay. So. Uh, okay. I know where we're going. Yeah, we're first off now. <laughs> um, so, passion of mine, uh, aviation, uh, another passion. Uh, Something bation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> lost my place. Um, another passion, <laughs> UFOs. Um, not a passion, smoking, but. Um, it's kind of linkedin yep long Moving on. cylindrical story short shapes <laughs> are another patient of mine that sort of phallic type craft um yeah so i thought we'd um we'd delve into a couple of cases that you know as well known mm-hmm. and as well known don't just hurry up. but they're intriguing will um, i know them no you won't <laughs> You can guarantee that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you have little faith. So I'm going to just lubricate my vocal cords. Go for it. Tip of the tongue, the teeth, and the lips. Mm. Don't do that. <clears throat> Sorry, that's what we do to warm up. <laughs> <laughs> Which it really is. Fair enough. Okay. So, so Ledge. 
<laughs> Don't call me that. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, There are many high-caliber UFO cases, especially from the second to middle half of the 20th century. It's the same thing, but I thought I'd throw it in. The middle half. (laughs) Second to middle half. Okay. (laughs) Um, More like the second half, but the middle half as well. Um, But equally, the second half, um, which are very compelling uh, which have very compelling evidence and testimony. So we talked about one. I just, just mentioned it, episode one, Captain Taraguchi and his walnut, flying walnut. Mm-hmm. That was a very compelling UFO from... It was. You you let off our podcast career. Exactly. From exactly. high level. That's where we began. And I instantly brought it back down to earth with the harp. You did. <laughs> you did. And we've been recovering ever since. Sorry, it harped on about some nonsense, but... <laughs> We're going to rebound here on episode 55. Um, so, yeah, so there's some few tales here that uh, have very compelling evidence and testimony. Two lesser known yet astounding accounts of near collisions between unidentified craft and commercial aircraft fall into this category and defy conventional explanation. And here's the clincher. So, and if true, we have some very blatant violations of the no smoking sign displayed on commercial aircraft. Goodness. Goodness me. Is there a, is there a more sinister crime out there? <laughs> I don't think so. And there's like smoke detectors and there's like FAA penalties. <laughs> People still do it. Mm-hmm. There's an um, interesting side note here. Chinese airlines. Yeah. Air China, China Eastern, China Southern, big Chinese airlines. Are you, you're not, um, I just got to say, I hope you're not going to be racist. Not like going to be racist. Would be. <laughs> not going to be racist. Um, Thank God. So there's a rule, right, that says passengers cannot smoke. Okay, that doesn't rule everyone out then. Crew. Can? Can. Seriously. So it's quite common if you're sitting in like the first or business class cabins on some of these big Chinese airlines, like flying, say, Shanghai to Los Angeles. Racist. (laughs) What was part of racist there? Just pointing it out. Anyway, anyway. uh, To smell smoke in the cabin. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the crew, uh, like pilot, first officer, those crews smoking in the flight deck. Very common. Wow. They don't acknowledge it. And there was quite an interesting story I read from one um, blogger who posted trip reports that I read. Yep. Well, he was like, I know they're smoking. So he really called the flight attendants down on it, really made an effort and got quite alarmed about the smell of smoke. Got out of his seat, was trying to <laughs> sniff out where it was coming from. Yeah. And they're like, sir, sir, back to your seat, back to your seat, sir, back to your seat. And it's like, that's coming from in there, pointing to the flight deck. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, knocked on the door and said, there's smoke coming out of there. I think there's a problem. But they won't acknowledge it. They will yeah. not. They will, they will say, oh, I can't smell anything. Yet blatantly, you can. Yeah, right. But, yeah, it's really common, apparently. That's really interesting. Yeah, it blew my mind. Didn't know it happened. You look like your mind's been blown, actually. Oh, is it? Oh, my skull's still there. <laughs> I thought maybe it was up on the wall behind me. Uh, I'd run into a problem halfway through the story as I sort of ran out of brain matter. I think we quite often will, like, there seems to be a high concentration of cigar-shaped or cigar talk in our body of work. Is that, you? are you are you calling me out for being a... Yeah, I'm having a go. Having a go, I'm aren't a you? bloody go. Okay, Israel. <laughs> No one's going to get that. No. Let's uh, move on. No. Not the country. Uh, the homophobic rugby player. Um, oh, my sister's FaceTiming me. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so off task. Oh, there we go. I guess I'll say. 
It's connecting. Can you? Can we hear it? Uh, Turn it up. Oh. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm just recording the podcast at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just recording the podcast. We're just um, we're just doing we're just doing the podcast at the moment, guys. I might have to call you back. Okay. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Wait, wait. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Ollie. See you later. We'll all call each other back. Yeah. <laughs> I'll call you. I'll, I'll call you back in about half an hour. Okay. Okay. Talk to you then. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Business meeting. <laughs> yes, with the nephew. <laughs> Um, the first incident, <laughs> I'm not sure what we're talking about now. The first incident of cigar something or other is known as the Charles Whitted case and occurred on July 24, 1948, Overhead, Alabama. Mm. Pilots Clarence S. Charles and John B. Whitted took off from Houston, Texas in an Eastern Airlines DC-3 around 8 p.m. with 20 passengers on board. So back in the day, uh, there wasn't like commercial aviation, like to get from like one side of the country to the other. In the US, it would be like a million stops. Yeah. It would take 10 years yeah. and. And only seated 20, yeah. like the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you can't have any passengers on board an aircraft. Yeah. Um, both pilots had a wealth of flying experience, starting with wartime. Here we go, Band of Brothers, you'd love this. Uh, military flying uh before joining eastern airlines as commercial pilots at the time of the encounter Charles had at least eight and a half thousand recorded hours in the air it's not bad that's pretty good what do you have um flying or piloting just both combine them uh, about that cool nice nice work so that was 8 p.m they took off um at around 2:45 a.m roughly 20 miles outside of Montgomery Alabama and at an altitude of about 5,000 feet, both pilots... Oh, sorry, I've still got the old vola on there. <laughs> um, both, both pilots witnessed an object ahead of them that they first believed was a jet. So jet aircraft, still relatively new at this point of time. Mm. Uh, post-war. Post-war. Yeah. Post-war. Um, it was heading towards them rapidly at about the same altitude and passed by their starboard wing at close proximity to their aircraft. So, if you ever want to remember what starboard and port are, versus left and right, starboard has two R's in it, so it's the right. Ooh. Starboard is right. And port Just is obviously something. left. And yeah. port is left because left has four letters, port has four letters. There ah. you go. Easy way to remember it. What if I use extra E's in my... Oh, don't spell it differently, you <laughs> silly cretin. <laughs> Sorry. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Back We've got a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, the crew claimed the object passed by their DC-3, and the two craft were separated by just 700 feet, which is uh, two-thirds of a sky tower. Okay. Yeah. Um, and both crew members agreed that whatever passed them was most certainly some sort of aircraft. The men described the object as cigar-shaped, about 100 feet in length, or one-tenth of the length of the Sky Tower, and about three times the diameter of a B-29 bomber. I have no reference for that. The fuselage was entirely smooth, with no wings, projections, or fins, and featured two rows of brightly lit windows, 
or some other kind of portals that one pilot described as looking like burning magnesium. Remember that science experiment? Oh, yeah. From high school? Yeah, very bright. That was a good was experiment. I watching uh, Lost in Space. New one? Yeah. Has, uh, <laughs> not the one with you, Joey Tribbiani. You, you looked like you were going to say something, but you didn't. So I was, I was thought, yeah, I, was, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I haven't watched it yet. I'm quite keen to get into it. Um, the opening episode uh, has a lot around magnesium and and it's burning, etc. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was terrible. I don't think I'll be watching the rest of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh man, I can't get past a few of the plot holes. Okay. Um. Worse than the Joey Tribbiani one? Uh, didn't see that one, but oh. I did watch um, the spin-off show Joey, um, <laughs> which I think I had one of the seasons on DVD, actually. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. It used to be a family tradition growing up to go home from a maybe a Saturday outing and watch the original Lost in Space TV series in black and white. That was uh, cool. Yeah, I liked that. I loved it. I loved it, too. I used to watch it at my grandparents' a fair bit. Then I remember going to the movies with Ma and Pa to see Lost in Space. Featuring Joey Tribbiani. Featuring Joey Tribbiani. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> we were so let down. Pretty... It's like we were like these like kids and Ma and Pa had loved the original yeah, when yeah. I watched it. I mean, that like... one time you go to the movies with your family and it's yep. just a big deal and then it's yep. just a rubbish movie. Yeah. It's not as awkward as when you go into your like watch like Austin Powers from in nineteen ninety seven with your parents and there's all these sexual jokes and you're oh, like, yeah, next yeah. to your mum and it's really awkward. Um I think <sighs> Yeah, go on. Anyway. <laughs> the pilots also described that the nose of the aircraft was pointed and the underside of the craft from nose to aft emitted a bluish glow. After it passed, it pulled up into some light broken clouds and was lost from view. There was no prop wash or turbulence felt as it passed. And like 700 feet away, yeah. with something hurtling towards you, is kind of crazy. There'd be no sort of uh, bumps in the air. You'd think that, that would generate a lot of turbulence, a lot of wake. Um, a bright red, orangish exhaust was emanating from the object's rear end and was more orange at the outer edges of the exhaust, but grew redder when it rose in altitude. The exhaust extended approximately 30 to 50 feet behind the object. The crew heard no sound from the object as it sped past the DC-3. They had seen the object for about 10 to 15 seconds. Don't get me wrong, I like Netflix originals like <laughs> most, of, most of the time. I just, like I'm watching one called Love, and it's really good. Produced, uh, exec produced by Judd Apatow. Apatow? Comedy? D? <laughs> Comedy. Comedy. Uh, it's kind of an offbeat sort of a thing. Oh, yeah. Irrevalent? Indie sort of Irrevalent? The Revenant. Irrevalent? Mm, that, what are you, what, you're just going to say there, that again weird. until I realize Irrevalent? <laughs> uh, and also there's one called Dope that I'm watching at the moment. It's pretty good too. It's about drug smugglers and cops chasing said drug smugglers but it's a documentary series netflix is um they're okay in my book i pay my money yeah pay your dues but i'm allowed to have an oh, opinion not, so what am i supposed to do when you bring up Jews. lost in space and i don't like it and am i supposed to pretend to like it i don't think so irrelevant not connected with or relevant to something irrelevant yeah irrelevant no irrelevant <laughs> you saying it right no <laughs> um yeah so um yeah 
I mean, I like Netflix, but I just sort of, I just can't get can't get past the plot holes of Lost in Space episode one. I'm told <clears throat> it gets better, but I'm just it'll take me a while. When I run out of stuff, I'll go back to it. Irreverent, which is this is actually supposed to Google, <laughs> um, showing mean. a lack of respect for people or things that are generally taken seriously. So, how does that relate? Um, she is irreverent about the whole business of politics. How does that relate to the series <laughs> called Love? Because uh, it's kind of like showing, like it's about love, but actually it's all about maybe um, how love doesn't actually work. Oh, is it? I haven't seen it. <laughs> so why would you say it? <laughs> because I googled irreverent and I actually typed it. It would have corrected you to go- irrelevant. You googled irrelevant. No, I, I typed it irreverent. I obviously didn't spell it as correctly as I thought I did. It auto corrected to irrelevant, which didn't make sense to the definition. I re-googled it and got the definition now. Okay, so there's no jet wash. Then what happened? I've lost my place. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Captain Childs contacted the company radio opera- operator at Columbus, Georgia, and asked him to contact Lawson Field at Fort Benning, Georgia, and find out if the Army had any jet or experimental planes in the vicinity. So, fun fact, back in the day, there wasn't air traffic control. So, if you wanted to talk to air traffic control, you'd call your airline, who would pick up a radio or phone and contact air traffic control, who would then relay the information via the airline. Oh. Weird, eh? Yeah. Mercury 13 is a Netflix original that I've got lined up. I've seen that too. After rigorous testing in 1961, a a small group of skilled female pilots are asked to step aside when only men are selected for spaceflight. And you you thought you agreed with that. You thought that's very much along your religious views. (laughs) Yeah. Israel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the uh, Defiant Ones is another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's one that kind of follows um, Dr. Dre and his business offsider. Starts with the sale of Beats by Dre to Apple, etc. Oh. Yeah, interesting. Is that irreverent? I still don't really get... I'll go back to reading what it means. <laughs> Showing a lack of... Res- <laughs> Just go. The company operator called back a few minutes later and stated that Lawson Field reported they had no planes in the area. Captain Charles then reported back to the company radio operator saying that a strange aircraft had just passed by and it looked like some sort of rocket ship. Only one of the 20 passengers on board was awake and witnessed the event. He remarked that he saw a strange, eerie, irreverent streak of light, <laughs> very intense but provided no further detail as it happened very quickly and his eyes had not yet adjusted to the darkness. Furthermore, a similar sighting had been reported shortly before Charles and Whitted's encounter. The sighting occurred at the nearby Robbins Air Force Base in Georgia, where ground personnel on duty at the time reported seeing a rocket-like object pass overhead at very high speed. A report of the encounter read... On 24 July 1948, the aircraft dispatcher on duty at Warner Robins Air Force Base notified the Maxwell Flight Service Center that a fluorescent squash-shaped object with a flaming exhaust had been sighted. This object was sighted by Mr. Massey, a member of the civilian alert crew, who stated that the object appeared to be wingless and was headed south at terrific speed. Mr. Massey estimated the object to be about 25 feet in length, which is less than uh, Charles and Woodard. 
They were like mm-hmm. 150 feet, bitch, and he's like 25. Star Trek Discovery. Another one. There's another one. Another one, yeah. Really good. Highly recommend that. I've never watched Star Trek before. I'm not a Trekkie. Star Trek Discovery is just amazingly shot and very well written. Uh, Five stars. Any feature any of the existing characters or anything like that from the previous ones? Or is it all kind of new people or what are they sort of... Uh, Different ship and I think it's a different time period. So no. Different shit, new time period. Is that (laughs) that your review? That's your review? Different shit, new time period, five stars, go. (laughs) Uh, The Robbins Air Force Base's close proximity to the original counter, as well as the similar description of the sighting by the ground personnel, serves to reinforce the pilot's testimony. And just taking a step over the old pond there, um, an almost identical UFO had been reported just a month earlier in the Netherlands. The Netherlands. The Netherlands. The encounter drew considerable attention, both public and military, and sparked much debate about the validity of the claims from the two pilots. The morning after their experience, Charles and Witted reported their observations to local reporters, as well as the United States Air Technical Intelligence Center and military officials involved in Project Sign. Project Sign was an official U.S. government study of unidentified flying objects undertaken by the United States Air Force and active from 1947 to 1949. Some of Sign's personnel, including Director Robert Schneider, favoured the extraterrestrial hypothesis as the best explanation for UFO reports. They prepared the estimate of the situation, arguing their case. Interesting. Sign's estimate of the situation report ultimately concluded that the object cited in the Charles Witted case was likely of interplanetary origin. Whoa. Ultimately, this controversial hypothesis and conclusion did not sit well with high-ranking military officials and was ultimately rejected because you can't say that. It's like, well, all the signs count to, to it being, you know... Alien dudes yep. rocking past us. Yeah. It's like... Uh, so what's the official word? I can't actually say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Uh, maybe it's like swamp gas. I don't know. <laughs> um, so at the end of this, because uh, Project Sign decided that the reports that they saw, all the stuff was actually alien, they decided that... Um, the US decided, US Air Force decided they would dissolve it because they didn't like the way it was going. Is that right? Uh, and replaced by Project grudge which is an interesting name when you think you kind of got a grudge against what project sign came up with so project sign was like yep it's all ufos their interplanetary origin yeah yep aliens all this bullshit all that great shit and project grudge is like mm, actually kind of fucking annoyed with you <laughs> not happy with what you're saying so what should we call our project yeah grudge project grudge uh, and then finally project blue book which if you live in this part of the world harcourts do a delightful blue book if you want to sell your house real estate yeah real estate blue book real estate blue book it's not how I found my house. Uh, ne- not, neither. Everything in that blue book is um, auction anyway. Which yeah, is impossible. they never list a price. It, for as a first home buyer, we can't buy... It, buying an auction is nearly impossible because yep. you have to have the bank has to approve what you're gonna, how much you're going to borrow yeah. and confirm that the house is valued at what they think. If you pay a million dollars for a house that's worth 400000 the banks will be like, um, no. nah. <laughs> nah, brah. Mystery um, Science Theatre 3000, The Return. What's um, that? It's... You don't you know Mystery Science Theatre? No. Really? No. Huh. What? It's um 
Maybe because I'm a little closer to the grindstone of pop culture in America. Yeah, you're a little bit older than me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> By a uh, Mystery months. Science Theatre was kind of started on a you know um, local cable type show where a guy found a bunch of uh, royalty free, really terrible movies and um, basically set up a show premise which had a man on a spaceship with two robots that he made himself out of like a gumball machine and a bowling uh, pin. This is like a comedy thing. Kinda. Um, but what they do on this spaceship is for punishment, the people who are controlling them make them watch these terrible movies that he's got the rights to. This creator's got oh, the rights to. Okay. So they basically, you watch the movie, but these guys wisecrack in the corner. <laughs> like you can see their silhouette of the movie theater and whatever. Um, and they went on for like years. They made these things. And eventually got enough money to start actually buying these terrible movies to then do these voiceovers over top of. And kicks, uh, they put together a Kickstarter, I think it was, to shoot a pilot for a new one mm-hmm. uh, yes, to yes. kind of bring it back. And I think it was a Kickstarter. And then Netflix picked it up and then funded a whole season or two. So what's it called again? Mystery Science Theater 3000. 3000. And the guy, um, the guy they got to be the dude on the spaceship... Uh, and this return was uh, Jonah, Jonah, what's his name? Lomu? No. Oh, no, it's going to play. <clears throat> I had it in my head until I saw his picture on I my know, screen. I know, Jonah Hill and Jonah Lomu. They're the two Jonas I know. No, it's uh, from the Nerdist podcast. Jonah, Jonah... He was born in Hawaii. Do you want me to continue with the story and you can come back to this? Or like, what do you Jonah. want to do? What are you doing saying Jonah over and over again? It can't be that entertaining. Jonah. <laughs> from Nerdist. Jonah. So what are you doing that? I'll recap. Jonah Ray. Jonah. Jonah Ray Rodriguez. Oh, like Bender Bending Rodriguez <laughs> yeah. from Futurama. Nice. Um, yeah. So he's quite funny as well. Um, up and he was an up and comer when I started <laughs> listening to him on Nerdist. Well, add um, that to your list on Netflix. Yeah, watch some. It's good. It's good for like chilling and not having to think. It's just a I if you like terrible they, movies. I believe it's the Netflix and chill right there. That's what happens. Is it? I thought that meant something else. Doesn't well, mean sex. But you're watching something. That's why I disagree with that. <laughs> Completely disagree. When I Netflix and chill, I was I've been watching Mindhunter one episode to go. Another good recommendation if you like true crime like old Ton does here. Mm. Uh, you can't chill out to do that. That's edgy. A seat sort of stuff. Anyway. Um, so, ultimately, this controversial hypothesis and conclusion did not sit well with high-ranking military officials and was ultimately rejected. Project Sun was dissolved and replaced by Project Grudge. talking so fast I can't understand no, we've really got, We've gone over this. We've gone over this. <laughs> then why are you reading it? Because I can't remember where I stopped. <laughs> um, you interrupt with Netflix. Um, and replaced by Project Grudge, and then finally replaced by Project Blue Book. There we go. The fact that this encounter was taken so seriously by military intelligence leads one to believe that this case was in fact a very significant one that received considerable attention from the Air Force. Um, okay, so the pilot's testimony also drew criticism. And there were several attempts that tried to debunk the sighting with claims that the pilots misidentified spacecraft of earthly origin on re-entry or observed a mirage, illusion, or a fireball meteor. 
The proposed explanations could not account for many of the characteristics of the encounter, such as the bright rows of lights on the object and the abrupt 90-degree ascension, which for many fostered the impression that this climb was too violent to have been simply an illusion. I mean, mm. doesn't make sense that you're just seeing shit. Again, <laughs> two people are seeing it as well as someone on board the aircraft. Yeah, the mass hysteria line they start yeah, to wheel out. That's right. Almost 20 years later, in 1968, Dr. James E. MacDonald, a well-known proponent for the serious study of UFOs in science, interviewed both pilots and made it a point to clarify that by Whitted's account of the aircraft disappearing after its ascent, he did not mean that he lost sight of it in the clouds as it ascended, but rather that as he observed it making its ascent, it simply vanished into thin air a characteristic not too uncommon to some UFO sightings. Earlier interrogations evidently construed the reports of the object disappearing to mean disappeared aloft or into the broken cloud deck that lay above them. Whitted said that was not so. The object simply vanished instantaneously after its sharp pull-up. Also in McDonald's 1968 interview, Whitted and Charles maintained that the object they saw was some sort of vehicle. It was not, in their opinion, a meteor or rocket on re-entry. McDonald went on to conclude his report by stating that a horizontally moving fireball under a cloud deck at 5,000 feet exhibiting two rows of lights construed by experienced pilots as portals, and finally executing a most non-ballistic 90-degree sharp pull-up, is a strange fireball indeed. Indeed. Mm. The Charles Wizard Encounter is an important sighting for several reasons. It is an ear-to-ear close encounter that was reported by two very experienced pilots. Both pilots had been decorated for their service as airmen during World War II Airman. and were regarded as valuable, respectable employees of Eastern Airlines. Charles, in particular, was... Charles? Yes. Charles? 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 Haven't you been saying Charles the whole time? No, it's Charles. Oh, when I've I been first hearing he- Charles. Yeah, well, it's, when I first heard about this, I thought it was Charles. But it's Charles. <laughs> Charles? When I first heard about it, I thought it was Charles. Oh my god, they come twinsings! <laughs> uh, Charles, in particular, was highly esteemed by his peers and by his employer. Giles? Giles? <laughs> Charles? Witted Encounter is considered, <laughs> yeah, the Charles Witted Encounter is considered a classic case and one which made UFO sightings more credible. Mm-hmm. So there's one more that's somewhat similar that happened a little bit later. So, okay, so that was like 1948. So mm-hmm. 1978, it happened again. Really? Yep. Same deal. Similar deal. Uh, very similar. So 1978, we had a DC-3 in 1948. 1978, DC-10, because good on McDonnell Douglas, they keep developing their aircraft, and lo and behold, here it is. Seven models later. The DC-10, baby. (laughs) So DC-10 near collision with a UFO over the Pacific Ocean. Captain Richardson is a retired airline pilot who flew McDonnell Douglas DC-10s and Boeing 747-200s. He has amassed a total of... 
I keep saying, when I say masturbate, I kind of went masturbated. I just sort of thought <laughs> that. He masturbated a total of, no, wait, that's whoa, not whoa, right. Whoa, 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 back he, it up. He has amassed a total of approximately 18,000 flying hours and was involved with commercial aviation from 1961 to 1991. Captain Richardson was also an air traffic controller from 1961 to 1965, so he knows the shit about the skies. He knows the shit. He knows the shit about the skies. Yep. Uh, so... He was working as a first officer. Uh, air, he was working as a first officer for Air New Zealand at the time of this mid-air event, which occurred in September 1978 at 01:30 local time in New Zealand. Shout out to us. <laughs> Richardson's DC-10 aircraft was at an altitude of 33,000 feet on a northerly heading just north of Samoa on the Auckland to Honolulu track. The air conditions were stable, with flat stratus cloud. Some stars were visible, but no moon. Richardson described the night as pitch black, very dark. Racist. <laughs> well, um, on this evening, Richardson was looking out the cockpit window dead ahead when he noticed a very bright light rapidly approaching the DC-10 above the clouds and stated, traffic on our left to the captain. The light was moving west to east from 270 to 090 degrees magnetic, which is west-east exactly, mm -hmm. and looked due to cross the DC-10's track from left to right. The New Zealand DC-10 was on a northerly heading, and the UFO was tracking east at the same flight level of 33,000 feet on a collision course with the plane. Mm. The UFO crossed paths with the aircraft at close proximity, directly in front, with the two aircraft around 150 feet apart, at the closest Whoa. point, which is shitting fucking crazy. <laughs> um, for a few seconds, put it mildly. for a few seconds, the pilots believed they were going to collide with the unknown object. You would have thought, "Oh my goodness, this is it. We're dead. Yeah. We're going to crash into this thing." Um, when in close proximity, the pilots observed an actual object for approximately three to four seconds as it crossed in front of them. They observed a large cylindrical object about 150 feet long, mm -hmm. same as the last one, mm -hmm. with large oval windows around three feet wide, evenly spaced along the length of it. A harsh, bright white light was being emitted from the windows. It's the same shit all over again. <laughs> same shit. Yep. Exactly. There were no appendages, and it appeared to be a solid metallic structure, a roughly the size and shape of the fuselage of their DC-10, however without wings and tail of a traditional aircraft. So, effectively, another recklessly intentioned, suicidal cigar-shaped craft hurtling itself at commercial aircraft. Mm. That was in the report. I don't add that in. Interesting. Well, I made that in. <laughs> Um, the front was a rounded point, while the rear one-third of the object tapered off to a narrow end. The pilots estimated the UFO was travelling in excess of 500 knots, like a th over 1,000 kilometres an hour, mm -hmm. uh, and it disappeared out to the starboard side behind them. So, here's a wee sneaky picture of what it looked like. Yep, a cigar-shaped craft. Big bright windows, just yep. travelling along, hooning. A bit of a hoon out there in the sky. <laughs> um, so the first action taken by the pilots immediately after the incident was to establish if any other aircraft were in their vicinity. Richardson contacted Nandi Control in Fiji and asked if there were any eastbound traffic. Their response was negative. Tahiti Control informed them that there was no inbound traffic from the west. Richardson finally called Honolulu Centre with the same question and was told that you guys are the only traffic in the South Pacific. 
Wow. The pilots had minimal time. They had fewer than 10 seconds to decide whether to alter their heading and altitude to avoid collision. Because of the speed the UFO approached and the close proximity of the object as it passed in front of their aircraft, both pilots were certain a collision would occur at any second and no evasive action was able to be taken. In an interview in 2009, Captain Richardson, he was captain by then, did well, first yep. officer, captain, well done, uh, stated the pilots did not report this near collision event to Air New Zealand management or civil aviation investigators at the time. Both crew members were concerned about the ridicule or disbelief they would face and be subjected to and the possibility they could lose their positions and registrations as pilots for claiming they narrowly avoided a mid-air collision with a UFO over the South Pacific. Hmm. So they're saying they didn't have to have time to change their heading. They would have seen it on radar, like they knew. No, nothing on radar. Nothing. They saw it. They saw something out the window, yeah. and they had ten seconds, I think, is what um, yeah. all in all it took up. Is that what they said? Yeah, um, something like that. Yeah, fewer than ten seconds. Wow. So if you count that, you're like, wait, is that something out there? What's that coming towards us? Is that a star or no? Should we do something? Is that a bright light? Oh, too late. It's like, where's that coming? It's going to come. In, it's it's coming right in front of us. By then, and then. They actually saw the object as shown in the image of a this torpedo cigar-shaped object with yep. bright lights for about three to four seconds. Mm. I don't know if you've ever been in the air and the aircraft is past you going the opposite direction. Yeah, you direction. pointed one out when we were going into San Francisco. Oh, yes. Yeah. Cool. It, it's just it's quick as a flash yep. goes past you because you're yep. going at close to 1,000 kilometers an hour. It's going at close to 1,000 kilometers yep. an hour. It's just It was boom. mind-bending yep. watching that thing fly past. So, yeah, you just don't have time to react. Yeah. If you were to grab the controls and move it around, the the problem is people in the cabin will be flung around the yeah. aircraft and it's yeah. going to be horrific. So, yeah. yeah. you got to really make sure you're kind of calculated in your movements and at 10 seconds you don't have time to calculate. So, smoking, bad for your health. Yeah. Uh, cigar-shaped UFOs, evidently so. And recommend Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Anything else to add? Yeah, just that really, just... You know, keep keep off smoking when you're flying, both cigars in the plane and the fuselage, and also, you know, if you see one outside... Watch you know. Netflix instead. Yeah, maybe just don't go anywhere. I mean, don't go anywhere in the world because it's dangerous and scary and just... <laughs> just stay home. Just stay home and watch Netflix. Shut the door, wait for us to all get hypoxia. Yeah, sounds good to me. On that note, we'll move on to the final segment of the show where we read from the 1982 Reader's Digest version of Mysteries of the Unexplained. I'll flick to a random page. Tony will tell me when to stop and we will uh, read one of the random tidbits and mark it with a post-it flag it's, so we never, ever double up. You got the post-it flags there? I don't, actually. Oh, it could be dangerous. I can see them, but there's a trip hazards on the way over. Okay. So I'll up. leave it. <laughs> I'll leave it. <laughs> All right, so flicking now. Did we turn the music on, by the way? Oh, no, we didn't. Should we do that now? Uh, click. <laughs> okay, so I've landed in the segment called Monsters and More. I wonder what the more is. Stay away from that more section. Um, and there's quite a few different, as you awkwardly, silently sidle over the wire. <laughs> sidle over the wires to get post-it flags. Um, there's quite a few on here to choose from. Okay, okay. I reckon I might be able to... We have had, there's have been a few monsterish ones before that we didn't mark with the post-it notes, so there's always a danger there could be a repeat here. But Should um, I tick off two of them? Yeah. I'll go with two. Um, actually, I'll do three. They okay. Don't, they don't look very long. Good trilogy there. Okay. 
An inland water monster that has never been hooked, though reportedly several times seen, is an elusive creature dwelling in 100 mile long Lake Champlain, which links Vermont and New York State with Canada. One of the first descriptions of it was made on August 30th, uh, 1878 by six people on a small yacht. What they saw was Sounds an... pleasure boat delightful there. <laughs> what they saw was an extraordinary living thing with, as one observer said, two large folds just back of the head projecting above the water. And at some distance, say 50 feet or more behind, two more folds at what was apparently the tail. Later this monster, or perhaps a descendant, would become known as Champ. <laughs> <laughs> it has consistently been reported over the years... Uh, and as recently as 1981, which was really recent. That was, that, that the, was hot off the press at that time. Yeah. With the 82 book. Yeah, considering the book. Just a reminder that we're having the 40th anniversary celebrations in uh, 2022 for uh, <laughs> Mysteries of the Unexplained. So. Next story. RS, RSVP now. RSVP? Now. What does that sound weird like? RVSP now. Yeah. <laughs> kind of sounds better, but we know it's wrong. <laughs> Thimble Tickle, Newfoundland, was the scene of a monstrous fish sighting. Thimble Tickle. Thimble Tickle. Okay. <laughs> Newfoundland. Right. Was the scene of a monstrous fish sighting on November 2nd, 1878. Three local fishermen were out on a boat not far offshore when they saw a bulky object which they took to be part of a wreck. Rowing up to it, they found to their disbelief that it was a huge marine creature, glassy-eyed and frenziedly thrashing its tentacles and Ugh, tail. Gross. For it had been grounded by the ebbing tide. They snagged the monster with a barbed grapnel and attached the hook to a rope, which they lashed to a tree. Jeez, that's in detail. <laughs> the creature struggled for a while. Then, as the water continued to recede, it died. The length of the body was estimated by the three men at 20 feet from its beak to the tip of the tail. A tentacle measured 35 feet. Unmindful of scientists or skeptics, the fishermen chopped up their catch into dog meat. Ugh, poor dogs have to eat that horrible bullshit. That's two out of three. I was trying to find out why Thimble Tickle Bay was called Thimble Tickle, but I can't find it. It's not Thimble Tickle Bay. Oh, isn't it? it said Thimble Tickle Bay on um, online. It just said Thimble Tickle Newfoundland. Well, I've got Thimble Tickle Bay in Newfoundland. Hmm. Must be the same. Maybe it's changed its name since 1982. Yeah, they added Bay, because Bay's kind of a cool thing to say these days. Yeah. Uh, and one small one just to finish off. It must have been a vastly surprised Mr. Hode of Adelaide, Australia, who, while walking along Brungle Creek one day in the early fall great, of 1883... It's some really good names. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it sounds plant. like a nursery rhyme. It is. While walking along Brungle Creek one day in the early fall Could of 1883... Could have been getting exercise, by the way. What? Got to him for getting some exercise. Yeah. But it was 1800s. He probably didn't have any other way to get around. So I'll take that back. Came upon the remains of an unworldly creature. Eek. The thing was pig-like in form with a headless trunk and an appendage that curved inward like the tail of a lobster. Ah. <laughs> needless to say... Have you ever been described as having an appendage like that? Needless to say, it has never no. been identified. The end. He's a crooked appendage. I mean, we can't all be perfect, so. Marked with a post-it. Beautiful. Well, that was loud. Tell me off for doing my, that. My apologies. Yeah, I never apologise, though, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else to add? Um, 
how long have we doing this for? Like uh, an hour and a bit today? Today, uh, yeah, hour and a small bit. That's good. I think we did. Um, we covered some interesting territory. Um, bit of space flight, bit of space TV, um, bit of uh, other TV. Yeah, bit of issues Netflix. with yeah, bit of um, issues with your health from. My health. Yeah, from like why smoking and flying is not a good thing, um, and then some mysterious beasts from the sea. So, good territory, good ground. On that note, we'll call that another episode of Lights in the Sky podcast. Join us next week. Toodaloo.